Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Today's message is the announcement that changed the world. The announcement that changed the world. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along in your Bible, it's going to be, the text we're going to be looking at is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke is a New Testament book. That means you have to go about two-thirds of the way back into the Bible, and you'll find these four books we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The third Gospel, first chapter, 26th verse, is where we're going to be starting today. Luke 1, 26 through 38. You there? And it's going to be on the screen as well. All right. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to share some thoughts with you today about this announcement of the angel. And as we do, I want to to do something that is, is, um, you kind of have to stretch a little bit in your thinking to be able to embrace what I'm going to share with you personally. But this is what I want you to see. What God meant for Mary personally and actually materially with the birth of the Messiah within her womb, God means for you and I spiritually. The very same things that God did with Mary, well, not very same, Similar things that God did with Mary. Now, he conceived an actual baby in her womb, but the, the Spirit of God comes upon those who believe in Christ and fills them and brings forth life from them. And that's what I want to show you. So I want to look at Mary and I want to look at her response to the announcement that came to her life, but I want to apply what God did with Mary to our own lives, and I want you to see that it's relevant to how we live and where we live right now. God is speaking to us right now through the life of Mary. She is our example. She's a model to us. And I want you to see that God wants to do some amazing things in you as he did in Mary. Amen? So I, now I have actually eight points here. And, and I'm going to 
concentrate on probably four or five of those, those more than the others. But I want you to see some really, really powerful things. And here's the main point I hope that you'll catch, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ changed everything. It changed everything on planet Earth and everything in human history. That this was an, an epoch-changing time. That, that God moved in a way that He had never moved in human history. And there's never been an event like this, and there will never be another event quite like this. This stands unique in time. A virgin woman was the recipient of the Holy Spirit moving upon her and conceiving a human child within her womb. How many of you know that's a pattern that gets broken, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a mold that is broken once it's, it's happened. It only happens one time. It's, it's a miraculous thing, and I hope you see that. And it changed everything. It changed everything for Mary and her family, but it also changed everything for us. And so we're going to look at this announcement, and we're going to break it down for our own life. And the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus' birth means that God favors us. Jesus' birth means that God favors us. The grace of God is ours. Listen to what the angel says to Mary. It says, he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. And then verse 30 says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, before we talk about that favor and we talk about the grace of God, I want to just tell you a little bit about Gabriel. Gabriel was an angel of God that appeared throughout the Old Testament and, and whenever he showed up, something was about to happen that was unique in history. He was the messenger angel of the Old Testament. And whenever he showed up and brought something, it was a time that was different from any other time. You know, there's a couple of Greek words in the New Testament that are used for the word time. One of those is chronos, and chronos is the natural movement of the clock, right? It's to, the ticking of time. It's what happens in an hourglass when, when the sand goes through. Time is passing. But there's another word, and it's kairos. And kairos is a, is a word that means those times in life where things change. Those times in life when God visits you or visits humanity and does something new. And when God visited Mary through the angel Gabriel... And Gabriel showed up. God was saying, I'm doing something unique and special right now. All of you that will read this in the centuries to come and in the millennia to come, you're going to see something different, something that's never happened before. And, and here's the message to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. You have found favor with God. See, Mary didn't find favor with God, and I shared this last week, due to anything she had done to merit grace. God didn't look at Mary and say, you know, Mary's more ethical. She's more moral. She's purer. She's better than other human beings. I'm gonna, of all the women that have ever been born, she's the very best. And so I'm going to choose, because she's so good, for my son to be conceived in her womb. No, Mary was lost like all of us. She needed a savior like all of us. Mary had sinned like all of us. She'd blown it. She'd made bad decisions. Now, we also can tell by the text that Mary grew up in a, in a home where she would have received a lot of the Scripture, and she would have been taught in the Bible because later when she breaks out in a song, she quotes all kinds of Old Testament Scripture. 
but she still needed Jesus. In fact, isn't it ironic that a woman would bring forth the Savior of the world and she would need His saving grace as much as anybody else that has ever lived? It's powerful, right? And so what, what happens? God comes to her and God says, you found favor with me. Right? God chose Mary by his own good pleasure to play a very special part in history. In this narrative, Mary is a forerunner to us of the favor and the grace of God that will be shown to us because of his son, Jesus. We are favored, heaven is smiling, and God's disposition toward us is good because of Jesus. Now, if you're here today and, you know, you've heard the term maybe um, in your past growing up in the church or from other people, you've heard the term gospel. The word gospel means good news, okay? And what the good news is, is simply this. God saw us in our need and we were hopelessly bound to sin and death and we could not rescue ourselves, And God had sent many prophets and many leaders for centuries and centuries telling the people, there's one coming. There's one that's going to come and he's going to fix the broken world. He's going to fix your real need, your real issue. God's going to intervene. He's going to come on the scene. He's going to break through for humanity. He's coming and he's he's finally going to show up and he did in Jesus Christ. And this was God's way of saying to all of humanity, I love you, I'm after you, I'm chasing you, I'm pursuing you, and I'm intervening in your life. Why? Because I favor you of my own will, of my own desire, of my own good pleasure. Not because you have done anything or can do anything to earn it. That's what grace is. Grace is God's Good pleasure, His favor, His kindness to us, apart from anything we can do to earn it. How many of you know that's really good news? The grace of God. None of us, if you're a a Christian, you know, none of us would sit here today. None of us can come into the presence of God without His grace, without His mercy. Amen. Secondly, Jesus' birth means the Lord is with us. The presence of God is near. Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. When the angel Gabriel declared to Mary that that the Lord was with her, he was declaring to us that God is with us as well. One of the titles or names of Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. Through Jesus Christ, God will not only come alongside of us, but He will now indwell us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We will never be alone again. God's presence is here now. And listen, I don't just mean in a general sense. We know the Scripture teaches that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? Everywhere present at the same time. But that's not what the angel's talking about. He's not talking about this general presence of God in creation. He's talking about the specific manifest presence of God that comes to your life, that comes to you. He's talking about that thing that we value here as a church that we talk about all the time as leaders, and that is when people come through our doors, when people come to be a part of a worship service, we want them to encounter something 
where they, they might not even be able to quantify it. They might not be able to say, I, I know exactly what that is. But when they come in, they feel something. They're aware of a presence in the room. They're aware of a presence in the atmosphere. And we've had people come through the doors over the years many times, and they say, as soon as I walked into the building, I felt God. I felt the presence of God. We've even had people who didn't necessarily believe, who said, when I came here, I felt, they'll say things like, I felt a really good vibe. I felt a great energy here. There was a positive aura. And we just go, yeah, God's here. Because when his people came in the door, those of you who know him, you carried him with you. And then a bunch of us who have God's presence dwelling in us gather together and worship him. And how many of you know he delights in that? And the scripture says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So we begin to praise him and worship him. And God says, I'm going to go and I'm going to celebrate with my people. And while they sing to me and worship me and honor me, I'm going to touch their lives. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to take their hard, cold hearts and make them soft again. I'm going to touch them. I'm going to remind them I'm there. I'm going to remind them I'm intervening in their life, I'm going to remind them that I'm real and that I'm near. I'm not a distant God, but I'm a very present help in the time of need. I'm a close at hand God, not a far off God. I'm a, not a distant God. I'm a near God. Amen? And so when Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord is with you, he was foreshadowing something for us. And that's really important because I, I know anytime you're in a crowd like this, there are people present in the room that love the Lord, and they are going through a dark night of the soul. They're going through a time in their life, maybe they've been disappointed, disillusioned, their faith has been wounded, something has happened, and, and they feel like God took off, man. God moved to a different planet. God forsook them. People feel that. We, we experience in our emotions, in our feelings, you know, we, we quit getting goosebumps. And you know what I'm talking about. Or you go to pray and it feels like you're praying to the ceiling and there's nothing beyond. And during those times, we need to be confident in something and we need to be confident in that reality that when God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he wasn't just telling us something to make us feel good. He was giving us an absolute truth. God never leaves, never forsakes his beloved. He's for you. He wants you. He hasn't rejected you. Listen, even if you've gone out into left field and you're doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing, and even if you're, you came in here today and there's a giant cloak of shame hanging over you, I want to tell you something. God wants to take that shame off you. You know, the house of God, listen, the church should never be a place where we say to people, shame on you. It should be a place where we say to people, shame off you, where we get it off of people. And I want to tell you the way you do that. Lord, here I am. I'm a mess. I've sinned. I've blown it. Please forgive me. God's like, I've been waiting for you. You're forgiven. Be cleansed. No, you're loved, you're embraced, you're back in the family. I don't leave you, I don't forsake you, I don't reject you. You turned and ran for me, I just want you to know I've been right behind you. And I'm not just telling you as a feel good, that is the reality of scripture. He will never leave or forsake his own. 
I can't tell you how many times that's been an anchor in my own life. I'm serious. There have been times when, when I have felt God is so far away. I've been so discouraged, so disillusioned, so disappointed. Come up with another diss. I was dissed. But not by God. He didn't diss me. He didn't reject me. He didn't turn his back on me. And you know what's beautiful about those times is later when you look back, you see he was there. Don't you? You get that, that 2020 hindsight. You look back and you realize, I thought you were distant, but here are all these evidences of you showing up in my life. You came to me through that person, but my heart was so hard I couldn't hear what they were saying, but now I get it. They were reminding me that you loved me. You came to me in that circumstance. In a time when I didn't deserve anything, you provided abundantly, above and beyond all I could ask, think, or hope. You showed up when I was saying, forget about it, God. How many of you know that's the God we serve? His kindness is beyond any kindness we've ever experienced from a human being. His goodness is beyond any goodness. His grace knows no bounds. His love is Depthless, heightless, whipless? I don't think that's a word, but you get my point. It can't be measured. Amen. I'm preaching myself happy. That's a good thing, right? Next, we know that we see from the text that Jesus' birth means that salvation has a name. God is our Savior. Verse 31 says, And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The word, the name Jesus, is where we get the name Joshua, a lot of you might not have known that. The Hebrew version is Yeshua, and Yeshua means Yahweh, God, is Savior or is salvation. So the name of Jesus actually describes his mission. In another place it says he'll be called Emmanuel, that's the title, God is with us. So he is the God who is with us, who saves us. His very name tells us who he is and what he does. Right? We know that Salvation has a name. Salvation is not just a concept. Salvation is a person. Salvation is attached to a person. And Jesus shows us so beautifully through the Gospels and throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament when He shows up and we begin to recognize who He is, Jesus reveals to us God's saving nature and character. And can I just tell you something? Those of you that get mixed up about God and you're unsure and you look at some things in the Old Testament, it kind of messes you up. You're like, wow, God's brutal there. And, you know, you come into the New Testament and Jesus is so sweet and nice and you're like, wait, which is it? You know, I want to tell you that if you want to see the perfect picture of God, look at Jesus. He's the perfect picture. By the way, Jesus got ticked off sometimes too. And Jesus is going to come at the end of the age with flaming eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth on a white horse dipped in blood, his robe dipped in blood. I mean, Jesus is, you know, he's pretty intense, right? He's a warrior too. He's a lamb and he's a lion. He's all of it. He's glorious. He's beautiful. He's all powerful. Amen? Amen. Salvation has a name and his name is Jesus. He's the rescuer of his people. Next, Jesus' birth means true greatness is revealed. I don't know if you caught this, but verse 32 says, he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. I love that. The son of the, not just the high, but the most high. It wouldn't be cool, you know, like, like what kids do when they're growing up. My dad can beat up your dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. Jesus can be like, no, 
I'm the son of the most high. Right? My dad can beat up all your dads at the same time. With both hands tied behind his back. Right? True greatness is revealed. But this is what's interesting about this. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this. The fact that her baby was to be called the son of the Most High pointed to his equality with Yahweh. In Semitic thought, the thought of the Hebrew people at that time, a son was considered a carbon copy of his father. And the phrase son of was often used to refer to one who possessed his father's qualities. Jesus is the greatest and most influential man to have ever walked the face of the earth. As a man, he only lived into his mid-30s, yet he changed the course of history. We now have a perfect example and a model of greatness, unlike the examples of pop culture and politics. We have someone to truly mimic and model our lives after. Why is this important? Because in our world, greatness is defined by a lot of really sketchy things. I mean, a dude sacks a quarterback and he jumps up and he runs around shaking his stuff and beating on his chest and telling the world he's the greatest. A boxer says, I am the greatest. A guy comes along and says, I'm the greatest quarterback. I'm the greatest basketball player. Self-proclamations of greatness everywhere. We're constantly debating in society and culture, who's the GOAT? the greatest of all time, right? Who's the goat? Is it LeBron or is it Jordan? I mean, you know, we're doing that. Thank you. It is Jordan. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) sorry. No, it's not. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you're wrong on this one, but (laughs) I have the pulpit. So praise the Lord. (laughs) This is when I, it becomes a bully pulpit, right? (laughs) So anyway, but back to reality, the greatest of all time is Jesus. And, and, and the beauty is others proclaim His greatness, right? And God Himself, the Father, proclaims His own Son's greatness. And He defines greatness differently. Like, He defined greatness with humility. He came in weakness. He, he should have, you know, you think about it. The Son of God, the Son of the Most High is coming into the world. I'm talking the greatest palaces, all the rulers of the world should have been there. Everybody should have been bowing down. Jesus should have been brought in, you know, shining with a halo around his head, right? I mean, all these ideas that we have. Instead, they can't even find an inn, a little motel, a a roadside motel for him to be born in. He can't even find a home to be born in. He's born to parents that were probably right on the edge of poverty, Right? I mean, all of these, he's born in a little backwoods town, Bethlehem, and he's raised in, in Hickville, Nazareth. Nazareth was Hickville. I'm sorry to put it this way, don't, I, I love my town, but, but to, you know, like, like, Nazareth was like Moses Lake to Seattle, right? So like, you know, like Moses Lake to Seattle, Nazareth to Jerusalem, that's what it was like. Okay, Nazareth, Nazareth was, was backwater. Jesus is raised there. He's born in Bethlehem. He's, he's unknown. Listen, the world didn't know. Yes, God put stars in the heavens that led some magi, but they were just a really small group of people who were paying attention to the signs God was giving. But most of the people in the entire world missed the birth of the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. He defined greatness differently than we do. In our, in our age and in our time, greatness is something we proclaim about ourselves. Jesus didn't have to do that. Amen? 
Henry Bosch says this, Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, Jesus for only three. Yet the influence of Jesus' three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who were among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, still Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns, symphonies, and oratories they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter of Nazareth. Jesus stands at the top of history. He's the light of lights. Amen? Next, Jesus' birth means God's kingdom is here and growing. See, we don't realize this a lot of times because Jesus' kingdom is different. It's, it's not defined by borders. It doesn't have, you know, a, a White House or, or a, you know, a king's palace. It doesn't have a congress or any of the trappings of the kingdoms of our age. We don't realize that when Jesus came on the scene, His inaugural message was Turn from your way of thinking and change your mind for God's rule and reign. His kingdom is at hand. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. If I put that into modern terminology, what he meant was turn from your stinking thinking. Turn to God's way of thinking because God's rule and reign is right within your reach if you'll just believe. Right? And then from that moment on, the kingdom of heaven was planted on earth and it gets planted in human hearts. And so every time a man or a woman or a child trusts in Christ, the kingdom rushes into them and fills them. The Holy Spirit fills them and they begin to come under the rule and the reign of God. And as they go out and they touch other people's lives and they begin to live out what they're being discipled in and trained in, they start to break the curse of sin and death and they start to do something different in the earth. They bring the rule of God into their own life, into their marriage, into their workplace, into everywhere they go. God's rule begins to extend and before you know it, the gospel is going to the nations and spreading to the earth. And that's exactly what happened. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a mountain and said, go into all the world and make, the, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey and observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And people went, wow, he wants us to go out and talk about him. And they went out and they talked about him and they went to all the nations. And here we are sitting in Moses Lake, Washington, over 2,000 years after Jesus said to do that in a church. And if you've ever looked at a map and you see where Jerusalem is and you see where Moses Lake is, how many of you know that's the ends of the earth? And here we are worshiping Jesus and he's our king, our master, our Lord, our all in all, our savior. And here we are, his worshipers, 2,000 plus years later. Go, Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty powerful. Well, thank Amen. I'm going to do staff right now. <laughs> oh, cool. And, and the next thing I want you to see, and I, I am starting to wind down here, but the next thing I want you to see is that Jesus' birth means the Holy Spirit will come upon us overshadow us and make us like Jesus. 
Verses 34 and 35, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I want you to think about something. That's almost the exact same language that Jesus used when he told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to come upon you. And then the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, praying for the church in Colossae, says, I pray for you that Christ may be, I, he actually says that he's experiencing, this is interesting language, I'm experiencing the pains of childbirth. He says that in Colossians, that Christ may be formed in you. Think about that. That's profound. And so the very thing that the angel Gabriel says to Mary applies to us in a different way. God wants to fill us with His Holy Spirit. He wants to empower us. He wants to overshadow us with the power of the Most High. And He wants to implant in our spirit the life of the Son of God. And Christ wants to be formed in us. So that the longer we walk with Him and the more that we get to know Him, the more and more we display His nature and character the more the fruit of the Spirit becomes real in our life, the more that people get close to us and they touch love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, patience, all of the different fruit of the Spirit are evident in our life so that people get up close to us and they might not even be able to say what it is. They might say, That's a really, that person's really nice and they're really something. And you know, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit bringing forth Jesus from me. People get close to our lives and the fruit that they taste is sweet. Not bitter, but sweet. Amen? Am I talking to anybody? I'm almost done. Next, Jesus' birth means God makes everything possible in our lives. The angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. What are you facing right now that looks absolutely crazy impossible? Have you counted God out? Don't count Him out. You never know. God loves to do surprises. Amen? Two of you believe it. See, if what we need is in God's will, there's the key. You know, if you're praying, Lord, I like that guy's wife. She's beautiful. He's a jerk. I name it and claim it. That doesn't work. That's out of God's will, right? So I, I know I'm being silly and I'm, I'm you know, kind of going a little far with it, but it makes the point. If you're asking for something that's within the will of God, but it seems impossible, God can do it. But if you're asking for something out of the will of God, don't ask God to do that. He's not going to do it. It goes against His character. A lot of times I'll talk to people that'll be praying, you know, why won't God hear my prayer in this area? Well, what are you asking for? They'll tell me. God's not going to answer that prayer. Prayer isn't magic. It's not like a rabbit's foot, right? Like I say my little prayer just right and God, you know, I'm going to have good luck. That's not it. We're talking about a person, right? And actually we were created for Him and we're to bring Him honor and glory. And so if we were created for Him and we're going to bring Him honor and glory, we want to ask for things that we know align with who He is. But if we're asking for things that align with who He is, oh, He's just like, gosh, 
I love to see my people ask for big things and they ask in faith. The virgin birth breaks all the rules of nature, revealing a God not limited by the boundaries that science, philosophy, or religion put on Him. Amen? And that's my, here's my last point. Jesus' birth means we can serve God and believe what He says. We can trust the Scripture and we can trust God's character. Verse 38 says this, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I shared this in the first service and I'm going to share it with you. But Hebrews 11 says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I can just imagine. I, I, can't, I can't prove this is in the Bible. I'm just thinking about God's character and nature. So it could have happened. This is a possibility. But can't you imagine all of those who have gone before that have passed into the presence of God and all the angels of heaven? God says, hey, come here. Come here, everybody. He gathers all the angels and he looks down upon this moment. Gabriel's about to go and make the announcement. Gabriel goes. He makes the announcement. They're all, all of heaven's holding its breath. All of heaven is waiting. What are they waiting for? How is she going to respond? What's she going to say? What's she going to do? They're all, and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Knowing God's character, at that moment, all of heaven went, I remember when I was a kid, I would play against myself, basketball games, football games, and I was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I would do the background sound of the... Any other boys and girls in here that did that as kids? Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> right? All of heaven. <laughs> Everybody celebrating and cheering. Why? Because God found faith in a young girl's heart. He found faith, and this is really where I want to end today. Some of you in this room, your faith is wounded. Something's happened, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. Your faith is wounded. It's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to trust that God has good intentions in mind for you, that His favor is towards you, that He's with you, that He loves you, that He's for you, not against you. It's hard for you to believe that. Something has happened, and it's wounded your faith. And what I felt today was to pray for people who had wounded faith, that you might be like Mary again, that you'll be able to come to God again at some point, maybe today, maybe in the future, maybe your process isn't done, but there's going to come a day when you're going to be able to step before the Lord and say, I'm your servant, Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. I say yes to you. I say amen to you. I'm not going to try to figure out what you're doing. I'm not going to be concerned that if, if, if you work on my behalf, somehow it's going to be disappointing or you're going to let me down or you're not going to work or it's going to be kind of, you know, the carrot. Whoop, psych. You know, that we, some, some of us have this idea that God's out there kind of going like this with us all the time. Come on, come on. Whoop, nope. Psych. Nope. You know, we have this idea that God's character and nature is, is bad, is cold-hearted. And what I want to pray for you is that your, your faith is healed. 
and God begins to restore it. Amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you. May the Lord lift up His countenance, His face upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. Go with God. He goes with you. Amen? Do you believe that? He goes with you. All right. Have a great week.